0: The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about Fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. All right, we're gonna be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse six, this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse six. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one there in front of you. Uh, Last week, we started this study in the book of First Peter, and we talked about Peter's purpose in writing the book. We uh, saw in chapter 5, verse 12, uh, where he gives us his purpose in writing. He says, through Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and testify that this is the true grace of God. So stand firm in it. So Peter uh, was preparing the hearts of these early Christians for the persecution that was on the horizon. Uh, If you remember last week, I told you uh, that this Peter's writing this shortly before Nero just goes crazy and starts uh, allowing sanctioned persecution of the church. And so Peter is preparing the hearts of these Christians. He wanted to encourage them by reminding them of the gospel. And challenging them to stand firm and he wanted them to remember the source of their salvation that their salvation was from God alone through God alone the product of their salvation was new life and new hope that salvation produces something in our life he wanted them to remember the sufficiency of their salvation that Jesus's death and resurrection was and is enough he wanted to remind them the reward of their salvation that the reward of salvation is eternal intimacy with God And the promise of their salvation is that they were eternally secure. And so last week we talked about the caveat of eternal security being real faith. That Yes, once saved is always saved. But once saved doesn't necessarily mean that someone just says a prayer. Once saved means that you genuinely put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. So uh, several years ago I was doing student ministry and I went to one of the middle schools here in town, this is, man, 15 years ago probably, uh, I was at Central Middle School, and uh, back back then they would let me go in the lunches and pass out flyers to every kid for an event that we would have, which was awesome. And so I happened to be at Central Middle School this day and I'm passing out flyers, inviting kids to um, this event that we were having at the church. And I had um, kind of like, basketball sweatpants like the adidas ones and then I had this jacket that was a sprite like NCAA tournament jacket that my dad got because he works for coke not because I was part of any kind of NCAA double whatever (laughs) tournament and so I was wearing that and I had the San Antonio Spurs hat which I don't know even know where I got it from because I'm not a San Antonio Spurs fan but I'm wearing this San Antonio Spurs hat, this jacket and these pants and I'm walking around passing out flyers and some kid walks up to me and he's like, oh my goodness, do you play with the Spurs? <laughs> I'm not proud of this, but <laughs> in the moment, it was a moment of weakness and my response was, absolutely I do. <laughs> Which was funny until I literally had a line of students <laughs> asking for my autograph, <laughs> to which I signed all of their notebooks that day <laughs> as some random name, who they have no—I mean, I didn't—I just signed a random name. It was hilarious. Like, what, what's what's most funny about that is, uh, if, like, I—I'm six-five, so I'm, I'm fairly tall, but uh, I have zero athletic ability. Like, those of you who have been there on Wednesday nights, like, you know, you know, you've seen it. I don't have any kind of athletic ability. And if you've ever seen me play basketball, it's even worse. The only thing that, like, allows me to do anything with basketball is that usually I'm taller than the other people playing, and so I can get rebounds and stuff. But I can't jump, like, at all. And and, and so there's no athletic ability at all. So I I may have looked the part. Back then I was a little skinnier, and so I was real, like, lanky and... I had all this basketball looking stuff on and, and these kids, they bought it, hook, line and sinker. Like it started off with just like one or two kids asking if they could have my autograph and I'm, I'm not lying. It ended up with probably 25 to 30 kids in a line to the point to where it became a distra- distraction and I was like, I'm going to get kicked out of this school. So I, like left and went and hid for a little bit till that lunch was over and then I came back for the next lunch. And then in the next lunch, some kids were like, we heard that you played for the Spurs. Can we have your autograph? I was like, I'm going to have to leave. I'm going to have to leave the school and not be able to pass out flyers anymore. I looked the part, but obviously there's, there's zero ability there. No ability at all. And, and this is something that I believe is plaguing the modern church. We've got a lot of people who are playing church, but there's no evidence of real faith. They may be attending church. They may be externally moral. They may even serve in the church, but their hearts are far from God. And Jesus, Jesus talks about these people in Matthew 7, Verse 21, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name. Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. That's a sobering passage, Right? It's a sobering passage. These are people who thought that they were doing it all right. They were doing all the stuff. They thought they had it all figured out. But Jesus responds to them, depart from me, you lawbreakers. There was this era in church culture, and I don't know that it's even really ended yet, of this say this prayer after me kind of model. You know, you give an invitation. Repeat this prayer after me, and I get it. But I feel like it's yielded a lot of people that don't truly get it. You know, that, that they they recited a prayer after some preacher, but they didn't understand what real faith is. I uh, I've been to youth events before, where the youth leader or the preacher or whoever is there literally had everyone in the room just recite this prayer like it's some kind of magical spell. Like if you just say these words, you're good. That's nowhere in this book. That's nowhere in this book. And if I'm honest, I feel like it's done a lot of damage to the church. Reciting a prayer means nothing without real faith. Being baptized means nothing without real faith. Going to church means nothing without real faith. Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Without real faith, there is no salvation. So what does real faith look like? That's what Peter gets into in our text this morning. So let's read together. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. It says, You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. So what is Peter saying about real faith? What is he teaching us about real faith? One, Real faith is joyful in suffering. Real faith is joyful in suffering. Peter says, rejoice in this. What is he talking about? What is this? This is referring to what we finished up with last week. Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. He says, you're being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So this idea that God is guarding our salvation by means of our faith that if our faith is genuine it will endure and one day we will see the completion of our salvation and that's what we rejoice in the fact that our salvation is being guarded for eternity that we don't have to worry about if our salvation is is real or if if one day we really are going to be saved we can trust in that our hope is in that because our faith is real. Peter says rejoice in that. You don't have to worry about your eternity if your faith is genuine. God is guarding your salvation by his power. If our hope is really in that reality, then what do we have to be anxious about? If our hope is in the reality that our salvation is being guarded by means of God's power, then what do we have to be anxious about? What can anyone do to us? Because if we live, we get to continue to live for the things with eternal reward, glorifying God with our lives. And if we die, we gain the completion of our salvation. So what do we have to be anxious about? Death is not something that the believer has to be afraid of. We don't have to be afraid of death because death is gain. It means that we get to experience the fruition of our salvation by being in communion with the Father for eternity. That's what we live our lives for. No more sin, no more suffering, no more fear or uncertainty or exhaustion. And that should bring you joy. If you're a believer this morning, if your faith is in Jesus, that should bring you joy and it should change how you view suffering. A couple of weeks ago when Julian preached, he pointed out that whenever I work, it's hard for me to like turn the switch off. Like if I'm focused on a project, I don't, it's hard for me to focus on anything else. And I, I like to finish whatever I'm working on before I move to the next thing. I'm like that even when I eat. Like when I eat, I eat one thing at a time. Make my way around the plate, get it done, and then, and then we're good. It's just how my mind works. And so uh, last week, some of you guys may have noticed we've been doing some construction work. We had, we had a little plumbing issue during VBS, and so we had to redo the bathrooms over here. Uh, well, last Sunday, we had to go reinstall all those toilets, and uh, and so we had a few guys up here helping out with that and uh, Carter decided he wanted to come up with uh, and and, uh, and help with that. Well, he ended up playing in the gym while we were installing toilets. And uh, we got to this point to where uh, we had some like issues installing the toilets in a couple of the bathrooms because the flange where the toilet connects to was all messed up. It meant that is an irritating thing like. I was getting so irritated and frustrated I had to go back to Lowe's and get more parts and I'm like I'm focused so focused on what we're doing and I'm in Lowe's trying to find what kind of part that's going to work for our situation and I'm looking at all the different things that they have and I get this phone call from Carter and I answered and he's like what are we having for dinner <laughs> I was like are you serious are you seriously calling me right now, asking me what's for dinner? Like I could care less what's for dinner right now. I mean, that's the furthest thing from my mind. I am focused on what we're doing right here. I don't care about dinner. Don't call me again unless you're dying, okay? And, uh, and, and that's, that's, that's how I work. Even, even like sometimes in the office, I'll get so focused on something that we're doing that I'll just work through lunch and, and, and continue to work because I, I wanna finish what I'm doing. I get, I get real focused like that. And it's not that eating isn't important. Or that I wouldn't have eventually started feeling the pains of being hungry. I I like to eat. I don't typically skip meals. It's just that in my mind, it pales in comparison to the importance of finishing the task. There have been times, like I said, that I'll get to the end of the workday and still haven't eaten because I was so focused on what I was working on. Those are very few and far in between because like I said, I like to eat. Real faith doesn't mean... We don't mourn suffering. It doesn't mean that we don't feel the pain and heartache that comes along with suffering. It just means that in contrast to what we know to be true, that God is guarding us through faith, suffering just, it just doesn't compare. Do you see how that works? Of course, if you're going through suffering as a believer, it's not going to be pleasant. You're going you're to hate it. You're going to mourn it. You're not going to enjoy it. But in comparison to what we know, that our eternal security is in the hands and the power of God, what is suffering? What is suffering? Paul talks about this in Romans 8. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. There are sufferings that are going to come. But real faith says, You know what? This life is so short, what does it matter? Because our hope is not in this world, our hope is in the world that is to come. Real faith is joyful in suffering because real faith genuinely hopes in the eternal security of our salvation. Next point we we see from Peter is real faith is commended by God. Look what he says. So that the proven character of your faith more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm the kind of person that whenever I find a product that I like, I get like, that's what I use. So like if I find a toothpaste I like, I've been using that same toothpaste for years. If I like a soap, I'm gonna use that for years. If I like a certain product for my car or whatever. I'm going to use that product because it's already been proven to work. Becca is an experimenter. She likes to go and try this new toothpaste that comes out. That drives me crazy. I like what I like. I know what I like. Even when I go to restaurants, I get the same thing because I know what I like. I've already gotten it. It was good the last time and I don't want to risk it. It's not worth the risk. I know what I like because it's been proven. Peter says, Rejoice in the gospel, even if you have to endure suffering, because it will prove the character of your faith. If you can remain joyful and stand firm, even in the midst of suffering and persecution, you're revealing the authenticity of your faith. The word Peter uses for proven here relates to fire a saying. This is a process that goes back centuries, I mean, thousands of years. If you're buying 20 pounds of pure gold, you probably want 20 pounds of pure gold, right? You don't want 15 pounds of pure gold and five pounds of garbage, right? And so the fire of saying, saying process refines the gold and gets rid of all the junk so that you can make sure that you're getting your money's worth. And Peter's saying that persecution and trials are the assaying process for Christians. They help reveal the true character of our faith. I saw this video this week on the internet of this, uh, this guy who was, uh, he was uh, impersonating a police officer. And he was good. He looked like the real deal. He had bought himself the car. He had a car that was black and white with the lights. He, uh, he had the outfit, he had the vest. I didn't even know you could buy that junk on Amazon. He had the AR-15 in his trunk. He had a badge. It was plastic though, he, that's where he cut it. If he would have had the metal one he might, would have got away with it. And so he's in this other district and he's saying that he's from like a county a little ways away. And these cops can kind of tell that, that he's not real. And as they test the guy, it becomes more and more apparent that this dude is full of baloney. I'm telling you, he looked the part. He had it all. But he was not the real deal. He was not the real deal. When he was tested, it became evident that he was faking. We've got a lot of people playing the role of Christian. In the church today, we've got a lot of people playing the role of Christian. They wear the Christian t-shirts. They carry a big old Bible around with them. They talk the talk. They look the part. But truth is, when tested, it will become evident that they are just not authentic. And Jesus talked about this one as well in Matthew 13, verse 1. He says, on that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down, sat down while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came out, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit. Some 100, some 60, some 30 times that was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. So Jesus gives three examples of seed that didn't survive the trials of nature. One was taken up easily by birds. One was burned up by the sun. The other was choked out by thorns. When trials and adversity struck, the character of their faith was was revealed that it just wasn't true. It wasn't real. Peter says, The trials and persecution come to test the authenticity of our faith. Not so God can decide who's real or not. He already knows that, right? God already knows. He sees straight into the heart of man. The test is for those that are the real deal so they can be encouraged by the authenticity of their own faith. Peter says that's more valuable than gold, which is imperishable. When our faith is tested, it grows stronger and stronger, and that stronger faith leads to commendation from God. Peter says that real faith results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God honors those who are the real deal. Matthew twenty-five twenty-three. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Romans 2.29, on the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. What an amazing promise. How crazy is that? That we don't even deserve to be like even recognized by God, but yet here he is offering praise and glory to us, commending us for our real faith. As a young man, one of the things that you long to hear from your father is, I'm proud of you, right? We can, guys, we can relate to that. We want our fathers to be proud of us. We long to hear uh, hear those words from them. But can you imagine the feeling of hearing Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant? Can you imagine what that's gonna be like? What an amazing gospel. What an amazing gospel. We believe this story that, that Jesus gave himself for us and that we put our faith in that. Not only does he save us of our sins, but he commends us for our faith. What an unbelievable gospel. Real faith is joyful in suffering. It's committed by God. And real faith yields sanctification from the spirit. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We had an awesome time yesterday. We got the opportunity to go out to Avery Trace Apartments right here across the, uh, the way. And uh, we set up a tent out there. They had a little community event for their, the people that were living there. And uh, our tent, we just kind of had a little Plinko board where kids came and they dropped the little coin in, let it do the Plinko thing. And wherever it landed at the bottom, we had little categories like t-shirt, water bottle. um, There was a bunch of candy ones, um, just some different options. And one of the options at the bottom of the thing was a gift card. So we ended up having kids line up and it was probably the same kids pretty much through the whole thing. They would line up, do their thing and go right back to the back. Every single one of them was dying to get that gift card, and when one of them would get it, they would all freak out. They'd be like, "Yeah!" And then they would uh, they would get like really like strategic with it as time progressed because we only had so many gift cards we were giving out, and they already knew that. So uh, one would get it, and then the rest of them would be like, "All right, we're going to change our strategy. We got look. We, he put it right there. He started there, so that's where we got to start." And then they, I mean, they were like intense with it. They were very passionate and, and about trying to. Uh, to get that, that, that thing. And they would work out their strategy. They'd be really intentional and they had a goal. They had a goal to win the gift card. And when that actually happened, it was such a huge celebration. It was awesome to see. Peter says, real faith is not seeing God, but loving him and believing him anyway. Even though we don't get the opportunity to see him in person, we still believe and we still love him evidenced by our obedience to him. We've said this before, but it's important that we constantly reiterate this so that we can understand. It's one thing to say that you love God, that you believe in God. It's another thing for that to really be true. And the only way it's true is if you walk in obedience to him. Even though we don't get the opportunity to see him in person, we still believe and we still love him. And the goal of that faith is the salvation of our souls. Notice he says, we rejoice because we are... Receiving, present tense. We work, or we see the work of the Spirit in our lives now. We see the Spirit changing our affections, right? If you've professed Christ and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you see the Spirit moving in your hearts and changing you into a new creation. And he changes your affections, right? The things that you used to love and were passionate about. When you come into a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit changes you. And the things that you used to once love aren't so much things that you love anymore you love different things the appetites that you once had the things that you were hungry for in life not so much anymore now you're hungry for the things of god your attitude and how you view life you view the world that we live in that changes when you come into a relationship with god that's the process of sanctification that's the holy spirit changing you and making you into a new creation all of that is evidence that we are being sanctified by the spirit no we're not perfect but by god's grace we're not who we once were either the goal of our salvation is being received we're being saved even now into the completion of our salvation when we're in eternal communion with god in heaven paul talks about this as well in first thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 he says for this is god's will you know what god's will is for your life this is it your sanctification That you keep away from sexual immorality. That each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner. Because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. As we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. It's God's will that you were sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That's what God wants for your life. If you've professed him, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And his will for your life is that you don't continue to walk in sin. But that your life is radically changed by the gospel that you say that you believe in. It's his will that we don't live in impurity, but in holiness salvation isn't just about our final destination you get that right salvation isn't just about heaven or hell salvation is about freedom from sin if we understand the weight and the gravity of sin and that romans 6 23 is true for the wages of sin is death if we understand that then we're just not looking for heaven we're looking for freedom from sin right and that happens now God's spirit is moving in you, changing your affections, changing your your, your attitude, changing who you are as a person so that your desires aren't as much for the things of this world. The spirit of the living God sanctifies us and we're being saved even now from the grip and stronghold of sin in our lives. Peter says this brings an inexpressible and glorious joy. Why? Because... It proves that our faith is genuine. If you can see God at work in your life, that strengthens you because you know that your faith is real, right? You see God moving. You don't see him with your eyes, but you see his effects in your life. Your life has been changed by this gospel that we believe in. When we see God at work in our lives, it encourages us and strengthens our faith. Even more. Peter's last point is this real faith understands salvation's greatness. Look what he says. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. When I was 16... My parents gave me a truck. I didn't have to pay for it. I didn't have to pay for the insurance for it. I didn't have to pay for gas for it. And you know what? I complained and moaned about it because I'm an idiot. It was lost on me how big of a deal that is, right? Maybe you can relate. Maybe when you're a kid, like your parents did a lot of stuff for you and all of the sacrifices they made and all the things they provided for you was lost on you. I just didn't get it. You know, I didn't understand the true weight of it. A lot of people are like that with the gospel. They just don't understand the true weight of it all. That's why they can so easily claim to have faith, but live a life that completely rejects the gospel. Peter talks about how different people have handled the gospel throughout history. He starts off talking about the prophets who searched and carefully investigated. The idea of God's grace was and is such an unbelievable truth that these prophets received prophecy from God by means of the Spirit of Christ, and they were blown away. Hearing of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow led to a joy and passion, and these guys couldn't help but proclaim this message to their people. Look at Isaiah 45, one example, verse 20. Come, gather together, and approach, you fugitives of the nations. Those who carry their wooden idols and pray to a God who cannot save Have no knowledge. Speak up and present your case. Yes, let them consult each other. Who predicted this long ago? Who announced it from ancient times? Was it not I, the Lord? There is no other God but me. A righteous God and Savior. There is no one except me. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn... Truth is gone from my mouth, a word that will not be revoked. Every knee will bow to me. Every tongue will swear allegiance. It will be said about me. Righteousness and strength are found only in the Lord. All who are enraged against him will come to him and be put to shame. These inspired words of hope prepared the way for the fruition of their message, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And they served generations. Peter says, the prophets spoke of this gospel and now the same message has been preached through the power of the spirit to the hearts of believers. That's how big of a deal this gospel is. God has been working out his plan of redemption since the fall in the garden. Right? You read through the pages and God is at work from the very beginning, paving a way for redemption of his people. And if we have a genuine faith, we'll understand how big of a deal this is. Like the prophets before us, we'll search and carefully investigate it. We'll study it. We'll live it. We'll proclaim it. Peter says angels even long to catch a glimpse of these things. What does he mean by that? The angels have been part of the gospel story since the beginning, right? They've been there. They proclaimed the coming of Christ. They were there when he resurrected, resurrected. It's not that they don't know it. They've just never experienced it. They don't receive redemption and they're amazed by it. But we get to experience the love and mercy of God. And that shouldn't be something that we grow callous to. I think that's where the church is at today. I think we've just heard this message so much that we've kind of grown callous to it. And it doesn't really affect us or stir our hearts as much as it should. It's kind of become lost on us. There's a song by an artist named Matt Papa. He's an awesome uh, worship leader. He writes really good stuff. He wrote a song called This Changes Everything. I'm going to read some of the lyrics to you. It says, I grew up in a little town, used to sing in the old church house. There in the pew where I used to hide, I learned the story about a man who died. Well, I was sure I heard that he had got back up, but when we broke the bread... And drank the cup it seemed the faces told another tale they were as dry as the bread was stale did i miss something was i not supposed to cry did they hear the preacher jesus is alive alive if this is true this changes everything if this is real i've got to tell the world if he is god then i've got a choice to make if i believe then i must follow him if our faith is genuine we'll understand how big of a deal all of this is, and we won't trivialize it. It won't just be some little added part of our life. Like, oh yeah, I've got all these things that I've got going on in my life, and my relationship with God is this other little added thing that we do on Sunday mornings. So we get our, our Jesus in, and then, and then we go back to the rest of our lives. That's not how this thing works. This is so much bigger than that. This is God's plan of redemption he's had since the garden. This is huge. And it should change everything about who you are if your faith is real. If your faith is real, this story of redemption should change everything about who you are. To where this whole faith thing is not a part of your life, it is your life. It is who you are as a person and it navigates every aspect of your life. It affects all the choices you make. It affects who you are as a person. It rewires the way that you think and the way that you live because the Holy Spirit has made you into a new creation. If our faith is genuine, we'll understand just how big of a deal all of this is. Like I said when we started if there is no faith there is no salvation. That's why it's important that we ensure our faith is genuine. There's no point in playing the church game. There's no power in that. There's no point in just coming every Sunday and sitting in here and listening to some dude talk for an hour. That doesn't that doesn't do anything for you. This means nothing if you don't have real, genuine faith in Jesus Christ. The community of the church means nothing without community with the the Father. The morality of the church means nothing without the sanctifying power of the Spirit. And here's here's the deal, real faith is harder because it requires that you surrender. Right, church attendance, that's easy, man. Anybody can wake up and be at the place at 1030 in the morning for an hour and check that box. That's easy. Anybody can say, I'm a Christian and wear Christian shirts and check all the boxes that we say is important as a, as a Christian culture. Anybody can do that. That's easy stuff. And it's easily controlled by you, right? You can control that. It's a whole other thing to surrender your life to Jesus and say, all of this is yours. My faith is in you. I'm going to do things your way. Do with what you will with my life. That's a lot harder. That's a lot harder. Real faith is harder, but it's where real life is found. All of this is meaningless if there's no genuine faith. Real faith is joyful in suffering, it's commended by God, it yields sanctification from God, and it understands salvation's greatness. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? If you've never truly surrendered to Jesus, if you've never put your faith in him, my prayer is that the spirit is moving in your heart this morning, revealing to you the truth of this gospel, peeling back the blinders and allowing you to see the marvelous, amazing truth of God's redemptive work throughout history. And if that's true about you, my hope is that this morning that you will choose to surrender your life to him. I'm not asking if you've said a prayer because saying a prayer means nothing if your heart hasn't truly surrendered. If you're questioning if your faith is real or not put it to the test is there sanctification in your life can you see the spirit at work in your life changing you into a new creation have you seen God at work changing your affections the things that you love or do you love the same things the world loves You've seen the Spirit at work in your life changing your appetites or do you still hunger for the same things the world hungers for? You see God at work changing your attitude or do you still think like the rest of the world? If the answer is no, the truth is you haven't surrendered in faith because real faith yields sanctification from the Spirit. So if that's true about you, My hope and prayer is that you'll do that today, that you'll choose here and now to surrender your life to Christ in faith. You'll stop playing the church game. You'll stop doing the Christian culture thing just for the sake of doing it, but that you'll truly surrender in faith and make Jesus the Lord of your life. And that's you. We would love an opportunity to talk to you about that. We would would love to be able to walk you through the scriptures and show you what it means to truly surrender your life to Christ. Here in a minute, the band's gonna sing. There's gonna be a couple of people standing here in the front. They would love to talk to you about that. If you're not a come down front person, that's okay. There's a card in front of you, fill it out. We'll call you this week, talk to you about it. Fill it out, drop it into the box on your way out. But if God is calling you to salvation this morning if he's speaking to your heart revealing to you that the disingenuine aspect of your faith if it's not real and you know it's not real then my hope and prayer is that you'll surrender him this morning Father God I pray that move in the hearts of people in the room this morning God if our faith is not real reveal it to us convict us God I pray that we would surrender to you with complete abandonment that we'll understand the gravity of this gospel the weight of it all how big of a deal this really is God, we pray that your spirit would continue to move, sanctifying us, changing us. God, if there's anyone here that doesn't truly know you, I pray that your spirit's moving in their heart and that they will surrender this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in our time together. In your name we pray. Thank you so much for listening. And we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, grow, give and go.